So as we turn to Haggai, let's, uh, why not just open us in prayer? Lord, uh, thank you for just this, this church building. Thank you for letting us gather here on a Sunday um, and just praising your name, Lord. I pray that um, we would see you in this text, Lord. I pray that you would um, just not allow me to speak words if they're not from you, God. I pray that um, your word would be effective this morning. Amen. Amen. So Haggai, um, so Haggai is a prophet of the Old Testament. Um, actually, Haggai, he's buddies with Zechariah. Haggai is kind of like the OG post-exile prophet. He was speaking to the Israelites about a, about a month or two before Zechariah did, which is the book that we're going through on our, our regularly scheduled Sunday. And Haggai means festival or, you know, it means festival. Some, some people think it could be a short version of Haggiah, which means festival of Jehovah. Um, Haggai is another one of the three, post, so there's three post-exile prophets, and he was used by God to encourage the returning Israelites to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple for the Lord. He's thought to have been in the first group of about 50,000 that came back from Babylon uh, to Jerusalem. Recently, my dad, um, he's been on a bit of a TV show binge of a show called American Pickers. Have any of you guys heard of that? Or Canadian Pickers, or if you don't know what that show is, it's basically these two guys, and they own an antique shop, and they, you know, drive around to different people, and they barter, and kind of sort through their crap, I guess, <laughs> looking for things that they can sell in their store. Um, and, you know, they kind of barter back and forth to get a good deal on the prices so they, can, so they can sell it in their store. And oftentimes, the things that they find in these people's old, nasty, run-down barns, on the surface, seem like pure junk. And then, next thing you know, the one guy's offering $3,000 for it. And, uh, and then when they, when they offer the money, they kind of start giving some backstory on the pieces, and they give some history of of what that, what that weird little metal toy is or that taxidermied elephant head, where, you know, where it came from and you get the history of it and you realize, oh, that actually is worth a heck of a lot more than $3,000, so it's definitely worth it. And it's worth that much because of the history and because of where it came from. And it's actually, it's pretty interesting and I've actually started to get a little bit addicted myself. And I just love learning about the history of where things came from. I especially like the Canadian one because it's, more about the Canadian history and stuff, and it's, it's pretty fun. And in the same way with the Old Testament, there is, there's so much content and history in the Old Testament that sometimes you don't really understand what you're reading or, or what is even going on without getting a backstory of what's going on in the land or, or where these people came from or, or what's going on in the surrounding area. So before we dive in, I'm gonna take a brief little bit and just run through some of the history of what the Israelites, where they've been, what's going on, and if you're one of those people that really could not care less about history, then it'll be brief, I promise. And also I can see the iPad reflecting Facebook in your face, so just remember that. <laughs> so in terms of Israel, when we talk about the Israel exile to Babylon, you've got three main periods. You've got pre-exile, exile, and post-exile. 
And so pre-exile, the people of, of Israel, they're living in Jerusalem in the land of Judah. And, you know, they're, they're prospering. Their crops are doing good. Their, their animals are doing great. And overall, life is, is pretty good. Or so it seems. Um, you've got 10 pre-exile prophets in the Old Testament. Obadiah, Amos, Joel, Hosea, Isaiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah. They were all prophets in the land during the pre-exile time that were basically warning the Israelites of impending doom and, and how they need to turn from their idolatrous ways, basically. They weren't worshiping the Lord as they were meant to. And if they don't turn from their evil ways, then judgment will come. And spoiler alert, they didn't turn from their judgment ways, their evil ways. So they go into exile from their land. And I think I've got, what do I have up there, Calvin? What's my next little map? Perfect. There's a little map. So there they are in Jerusalem in the bottom left. And King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon besieges Jerusalem three different times, starting in 609 BC until eventually in 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he's had enough. He destroys the temple of the Israelites and buildings, and he captures a majority of the citizens, a majority of the kind of middle-class, high-ranking citizens. He kind of leaves the peasants behind to tend the land. And he takes them into Babylon and then becomes the exile, the time of the exile. So they are exiled from their land of Jerusalem and the surrounding area into Babylon. So they're in Babylon, and while in Babylon, there's two um, exile prophets, and they are Daniel and Ezekiel. And Daniel, which, by the way, is a super fascinating read, apart from what I'm going to say here, Daniel's going through his notes while in exile, and he starts to realize that not only in, in Jeremiah, but also in Isaiah, it was prophesied that their exile from their land would last 70 years. And Daniel also actually, actually accurately understands the exact year that the exile will end. So after 70 years of their exile comes 539 BC. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's died. He was the king of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar has died, and their leadership of Babylon was a little weak. So in comes King Cyrus of Persia. And he captures Babylon and the area, and he actually allows the Jews, 70 years after they were exiled, back to their land. He allows them to go return to their homeland, to rebuild their temple in 539 BC, ending the exile. Then we come to the post-exile. So the Israelites, um, they're pretty pumped. They're headed back to their land. About 50,000 Israelites first return to their land um, under the leadership of Zerubbabel, the leader who we learned about, who we heard his name in Zechariah, and Joshua, the high priest, who we also heard about in Zechariah. So post-exile, so we've got pre-exile, exile, post-exile. Now in post-exile, there's three prophets that come to the Israelites, and they're Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And, um, you know, the Israelites are back in their homeland, and they're pumped. They're excited to get back to building the temple that 
that King, King Solomon had once built and then got destroyed. So the first set of stones go down in the new temple. They're working for two years on the temple for the Lord, and it's starting to look great, and then nothing. You know how it goes sometimes when you start a project? Um, maybe, you're, maybe you're building your parents a fireplace. I don't know. But you're, uh, you know, you're starting a project and you're thinking, oh yeah, this is going to be awesome. Like, this is no big deal. I'm going to, you look up some stuff on the internet, you get ideas, you go, oh, come on, this is, this will be no big deal. You think, uh, I'll put some long days in here or there, you know, but in the end, it'll be worth it. Like, I'm going to build this and it's going to be great. And then um, you start to realize as you're doing it, you kind of go, oh, actually, this is taking a little bit longer than I thought it would. Or, or you kind of go, oh, actually, this is actually kind of tricky. I thought, I thought a monkey could do this. Am I dumber than a monkey? No, it can't be. You know, maybe in the background while you're working away, you get the odd comment of, oh, is that how you're going to do that? <laughs> and you start thinking, you know, oh, it's a nice night out outside. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll just go down to the beach tonight. I'll get back to work on it tomorrow night. I'll just take a night off. And uh, next thing you know, time's flown by and you've got nothing done on it. And that's kind of what happened to the Israelites here. They, they started making excuses. They started to look at their own houses and their own land and going, I, God can wait. I need to work on my own house. My crops need tending to, you know, in my backyard there. I need a new fire pit so that my friends can come over and enjoy and... You know, God can wait. His temple can wait. We've got the little base built and it's all good. It can wait. And then 17 years later, the Lord had had enough and Haggai came into the picture. So they worked on it for two years and then left it for 17 years. So here we come to Haggai. Haggai is a little bit unique in the sense that he has very uh, precise dates on all his, on all his writings. So you can get a pretty accurate timeline of what exactly he's, uh, what exactly he's doing. So Haggai uh, chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So the second year of Darius the king is in 520 BC and the sixth month, the first day, is September 1st. So we know that the word of the Lord came through Haggai to these people on September 1st, 520 BC to the two leaders of the time, uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua, who we learned, we heard about in Zechariah. Zerubbabel is the political leader of the time and he's actually, you can trace his descent um, from King David and Joshua, the high priest, is the spiritual leader who you can actually trace his genealogy from, from Aaron, who's the brother of Moses. Verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So the word of the Lord uh, in Haggai first starts as a rebuking. These people, the Israelites say, you know, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. 
And to the Israelites, actually this word from Haggai would be devastating because God uses the term these people rather than my people. What these Israelites are doing right now, they're not indicative of of God's people. They aren't exhibiting the qualities that God wants in his people. Can you imagine how crushing that would be for for God to call you a a these people rather than a my people? The God who who led them out of Egypt and cared for them. You know, in Jeremiah, God says, I'll give them a heart to know me for I am the Lord and they will be my people and I will be their God. Or in Ezekiel, he says, you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. Here, God's calling them just merely these people. The way these people are in acting, they're not, they're not my people. I can, I can imagine God being a little bit like ex- sarcastic and exasperated even. You know, oh, oh, you say it isn't time to rebuild my temple? but it's time for you to dwell in your fancy paneled houses. You know, you know Billy and Nancy over there are, are laying uh, paving stones back to their back shed, and I can't even get a freaking wall or two up on my temple? Like, what the heck's going on here? The people of Israel, they decided, you know, it's time to take care of their own needs before building a temple for the Lord. You see, the people, when they returned from Babylon, they began they began uh, building the temple when they first returned and then they got complacent. They got sidetracked, you know, they felt opposition from the surrounding peoples of the land. You know, they, they didn't think it would live up to the first temple, you know, King Solomon's temple was, it was a thing of beauty. It was meticulously crafted with the finest gold and, and the finest wood and, and the greatest builders. Um, you know, they, they spent a long time making the first temple just this gorgeous piece of work. And you can read more about it in Kings and Chronicles if you want. But, but the people of the time, they, you know, they looked at the temple they were building and they thought, man, this is junk. This temple is going to be junk compared to what we built years ago. This isn't worth anything. This is going to be ugly and small. But, but what the people didn't understand is that it's not about the temple on the outside. It's not about what it looks like on the outside, but it's about the man that's on the inside. You know, in in the Old Testament, the temple of the Lord is is where God dwelled among the people. Without the temple, there's no presence of God among his people. It's not about the building on the outside. It's about who's on the inside. And that's the same for you and me, right? You know, nowadays we don't have to go to the temple to be with God. We have the Holy Spirit with us always, but, you know, thanks to the gift of God by sending his only son to die for us, you know, I don't don't need to go to the temple to sacrifice for my sins anymore. I have God inside of me. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, I think is on screen. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Our bodies are temples. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. It isn't about what the flesh is like. You know, uh, recently I've taken to cutting my hair a little shorter and uh, shaving it off. And you know, often, actually mostly from the youth, but I start getting comments saying, boy, that receding hairline of yours is uh, starting to show a little bit more. You're, gonna, you're starting to look like your dad a little bit more and more. 
And so now my response is going to be, hey, it's not about the looks on the outside of the temple. It's about the man on the inside. Verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord, or, or thus declares the Lord, or a version thereof is used six times in this chapter, Haggai chapter one, in just a, ver- a chapter of, of 15 verses. And, you know, when you see the, in the Bible a declaration from the Lord to consider your ways, it's time to sit up and look. To, con- to consider your ways is an, is an expression that we use in English. In Hebrew, actually, it's a bit of a better translation of saying, Put your heart on your roads. Set your heart on what is being said. You know, carefully follow the path being laid before you and focus on what's being said. Don't just consider it and go, oh yeah, that's nice. Yeah, those are words. Okay. But actually spend time on it. Focus your energy on the ways you're going. And you know, typically if the Lord says, consider your ways, um, typically that's not always going to end in a good thing. You don't often hear people say, hey, Blake, you really need to consider your ways. You're doing a great job. You don't hear that very often, do you? Usually if you're told to consider your ways, something's not going right. Verse six, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. This is a testament to futility. You know, they eat, but they're never satisfied. They drink, but they're never refreshed. They, they earn money, but it seemingly disappears. And, um, you know, when I first started tithing, uh, it was hard. Man, it was hard to, to tithe. It was hard to give that money away. You know, I, I worked hard for that money, and now God wants me to give 10% to the church? Think of all the coffees I could buy or, or I could put that money towards a new drone. I don't know. And, and, and I thought that's what it would be like. I thought I, you know, I, I'd make money and then if I'm giving 10% away and I, I'm doing this and that, uh, it's just going to come into my wallet and like a hole in it, it's going to go right out. But let me tell you, when I started being devoted to giving my tithe to the church, um, and God bless me. God, not only just in I started tithing and then probably the next week I got a raise at work. But, but just in, in all areas, you know, I, I found a good price rental at the time in, during the time when just the market was crazy. I, you know, actually we, we started having more soup and sandwich Sundays here so I could freeload off you guys a little bit more. <laughs> it was awesome. God was blessing me. Are the things that you're doing leading to futility? You know, you need to consider your ways. Put your heart on your road and change. But what do I do then? I'm glad you asked. Verse seven. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Verse 10. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. 
And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Get to work. Quit standing around. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house of the Lord like I told you to. Do you feel like there's a drought in your life, like, like your labors in life are, are leading to nothing? The Israelites probably, in that moment, thought they were being attacked from, from Satan, when in reality, they were just neglecting the house of the Lord. They were abstaining from working on getting the presence of the Lord in their midst. Get to work, what he says. But Blake, you just said we don't need to build a temple that I, that I have God in me. You want me to go build a temple in my backyard? No. Matthew six thirty one to 33. Oh, not quite. It'll be up on the screen. Matthew 6, 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Isn't that satisfying? You know, I, I don't have to worry about the things of the world. I don't have to worry about whether my money is going into my wallet and then right out. God will take care of me if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, does that mean I don't need to go to the grocery store and that my cupboard will just multiply with food? Well, not quite. But if you dedicate yourself to the Lord and worry about the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, then the worldly things will come after be devoted to reading his word. Be in regular prayer. Come, out, come on out to Sunday prayer tonight. It's an, that is like the definition of seeking first the kingdom of God. It's an awesome time. You know, it, it's kind of like, like a deal we have with God. If we seek first his kingdom, then he in return will supply us with our needs. And, unfor- well, not unfortunately, actually, fortunately, what we think our needs are aren't always actually what God knows our needs are. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. The high priest and, and leadership obeyed first. It started with leadership. You know, how good is it that we here at CTK have a have a Bible-minded and God-fearing senior pastor. Amen? With wisdom and humility, we have Matt, you know, who, who fears the Lord, and he actively searches the words of God daily so he can lead us. And I think, personally, I actually take that for granted some days because, like, leadership can make or break everything, right? When you have a pastor who desires to know God first, then, then God blesses that. And I personally think CTK is a pretty blessed church. Not only just with the people that come here, but, but in also the physical building, you know, with a recent um, addition of Church on the Rock and, and a potential new physical temple. You all better get ready to uh, read this again because sometime in the future we might have to build a physical temple for the Lord. <laughs> Hopefully not too far away. Hopefully 
we get a new building quick. Verse 13, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. I am with you, declares the Lord. That right there, if you don't have it underlined or bold circled or highlighted or arrows pointing to it, that deserves all of that and more. I am with you, declares the Lord. You know, that, that's all we need. He, I'm with you. He doesn't, he doesn't whisper saying, I'm with you. Keep it quiet though. He, he declares it that I am with you. God wants to encourage you. He doesn't want you to, to feel ashamed or, you know, he wants to encourage you to do as he commands. Sometimes, like a good father does, discipline has to happen. But in the end, he wants to see you thrive and be successful. You know, through the Holy Spirit, God is dwelling in his temple constantly, in us at all times. And you know what? Unlike me, God doesn't, God doesn't need vacations. God's constantly at work in his temple. He's not like the Israelites who take 17 years off. God's constantly fixing and repairing and, and doing additions and, and, you know, figuring out how to improve you and Sometimes if any of you guys are builders or, or contractors or done any renovations around your house, you know sometimes you've got to deconstruct before you can reconstruct. Or sometimes, you know, leaks happen. Sometimes things burst. Sometimes plugs stop working. Sometimes just things stop working. They just need to be fixed and worked on. And that seems like the life of a homeowner. You know, since my dad's gotten stick, sick, I've started to take on um, some more work around the house and just regular house maintenance. And, man, I got to tell you, more respect to all you homeowners because it just never stops. It just never stops. When you think you're done, when you think you've caught up on this, all of a sudden you look back and the grass has grown again. And it just doesn't stop growing. And you cut it and it grows again. And you don't understand why. And you have to go out there every week and mow the lawn. And it's just a never-ending job. And sometimes in your life, hardships can come. You know, stuff that just seems way too overwhelming. Um, Matt's mom isn't here, but I heard recently that she had a major, major flood in her house. And... As a plumber, I've shown up to houses once or twice in my career where that I've walked in into about a, a couple inches of water and they don't know how to shut their water off and it's been a nightmare. And I can't even imagine what would be running through your head if you owned a home and came home to two inches of water in your house. As they, I heard as, they, as uh, Marjorie opened the front door, a sudden surge of water came flooding out their front door and it, was just, it just sounds like a nightmare. It would have been terrible. Luckily, we have restoration companies to take care of us in, in all those things. And, and when we run into problems like that in our spiritual lives, which we will, we have God there to do the repairs, to work on his temple daily. He doesn't leave you for a vacation to Mexico. He, you know, he's got work to do in his people, and he will do it. The Lord is with you, declares the Lord. 
he's got his, his tool belt around his waist, you know, his, his steel-toed boots on and his hard hat. He's got a hammer in one hand and, and a, a drill in the other hand. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes he's got to deconstruct to reconstruct. He's got to cut down walls and, and hammer things out. And sometimes in the moment that sucks, right? And sometimes it really sucks, but God's doing work on you. He's building you and forming his temple. You know, the Israelites, when they went back to rebuild the temple, they faced a bit of opposition from the Samaritans. They were living in the land during the 70-year exile, and, and they weren't super happy about the Israelites coming back and wanting to rebuild their temple. So they made it hard for the people to once again have the presence of the Lord with them. And just how quickly the Israelites gave up. You know, they got an order from Persia to stop working, but that was pretty minor. And then, you know, once all that settled, they still never got back to it. They just gave up. They just got a tiny bit of opposition and they just threw in the towel and they went, you know what, that's it. Too much work. I'm going to work on my own place. It's just too hard. You're going to face opposition like that in your life. You know, sometimes it's, almost feels a little bad saying this because we live in Canada where it's pretty nice, but sometimes in Canada even, it's pretty hard to be a Christian sometimes, right? In other parts of the world, it's a heck of a lot harder. But you know, even just here daily, you know, you, you get worried sometimes that, well, what's that person going to say about me? What's, what's that person going to do to me if I, if I talk about God, you know, I, you get scared and, and you, you get a little bit of opposition from people in the world. But God says, be strong in the Lord. Seek first his kingdom to ensure that your temple is in top form. You know, what kind of work is God doing in your life right now? What's he renovating? What's he adding on to? You know, maybe you're, maybe for some of you, he's just, he's just trying to, patch the roof so that the, your house doesn't get flooded. He's just barely, you know, chasing problems here and there. Maybe for some of you, he's, he's adding the crown molding and, and uh, putting a fresh new paint of walls on. And, and maybe for some of you, he's throwing a new indoor pool in there. I don't know. We're all at different places. All our stages of renovation are at different places. But but put your heart to the road and consider your ways how God is working in you. It could even be the start of a demolition. It could look all beautiful on the outside and God pulls out his hammer and says, no, it's time to deconstruct before we reconstruct. You know, um, in my life right now, uh, God's working on me in the form of empathy. Let me tell you again, bless our pastor's soul. You know, I used to always say I could never be, I could never do what Matt does. I could never be a pastor or, or anything like that because I just, I just can't deal with people's problems. <laughs> I'm just no good at listening to people and empathizing with them. I'm more the kind of guy that would say, tough luck, get over it, get out of here. For those of you who don't know, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer about seven months ago. And for me, through all that, that's been a real eye-opener eye for empathy. You know, there, there's so much that goes on with, with cancer that you, you wouldn't even know unless you go through it. You know, just the, the doctor's appointments, the job loss, the, 
the dealing with family relationships and going to work and making sure my dad's okay and, you know, and, and just coping with it all is a, is a much bigger deal than I ever could have even imagined. I heard a story about dealing with children. When I was about five, I don't know how old it was. I was between the ages of four and maybe I was even up to, maybe it was last year, I don't know. <laughs> but my family went out to a fair. We went out to this carnival out at Trail Bay Mall and uh, there was a clown out there making balloon animals. And I remember being so excited and, and asking to get a balloon animal made. So my mom gave me a toonie and to put in a little donation bin so this clown would make me a, a balloon sword. And he made me the sword and it was probably the best day in my whole life. And I was over the moon. I was, you know, swinging it around, being crazy. And then it hit the ground and maybe it hit a rock or something and it popped. And I remember just bawling my eyes out. So I hope it wasn't last year, but <laughs> I remember just being so upset. It was the worst thing in the world. And currently, present Blake would have told past Blake, suck it up. It's a balloon. No one cares. However, the thing is, that balloon popping in that moment was literally the worst thing that had ever happened to little five-year-old Blake. Like, honestly, think about it. Nothing else up until that point for five years of my life had happened as bad as that balloon popping. And that is how life is, right? Like, who am I to tell people that, that you need to get over it, you know? People could be going through things in their life. They could be getting renovated on inside their life that I don't even know about. That to me seems like no big deal. Like, come on, what's your problem? But to them, it's the worst thing that's ever happened. It's terrible. And God's working in me right now to learn to empathize. And uh, I'll admit, I'm still pretty terrible. You probably ask anyone that knows me that it's, I'm s he's got a lot of work to do. It's a long renovation project. <laughs> 14 into 15. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. The first thing the spirit did was have them get to work. The stirring of the Spirit didn't come and say, oh, yes, very nice, good message. Um, yeah, okay, see you later. No, the stirring of the Spirit led to the stirring of work. But it took them 24 days. I'm not sure why it took so long for them to hear the word and then put it in action. 24th day of the sixth month, September 24th, they began to work on the house of the Lord. You know, mankind's still a little bit slow, takes them a little bit of time, but they still got it done. And I want to encourage you today to not wait 24 days to allow the stirring of the Spirit to lead to the stirring of work in your life. Today is the day. Or what if you're sitting there today and you're thinking, well, I, I don't have God, God doing renovations in my, in my temple, in me. Well, I'm glad to say that you don't have to wait 24 days, that today is the day. That right this minute, you can ask him into your heart, into your, into your soul, and tell him that, that you don't want to try and rebuild the temple by yourself. You know, God wants to help. He wants you to seek first the kingdom and he'll look after you. All you have to do is just pray and tell him that you need him in your life. And if you do that today, if you decide today's the day, then tell a friend, you know, tell, come tell me, tell your wife, tell your husband or son or daughter and, 
And um, today's the day. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And so at the end of it all, you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, it's not that nice of a day out, so I'm not going to go outside this afternoon. What am I going to have for lunch? Maybe I'll go home and maybe we'll go for Wendy's to burgers or I don't know. And, and you're thinking, I don't even remember what Blake just said for the past half hour. Well, let me leave you with a few key points here. Just a few important points from Haggai chapter one. Are you making excuses for why you can't care for your temple? Do you need to put your heart to the road and consider your ways? Let me tell you that the Lord is daily working on you. He's working to improve you and draw you closer to him. You know, get to work. Be yoked to the Lord for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. For I am with you, declares the Lord. Amen? Let's pray.